0: stand with me this morning. We'll begin with our call to worship. Uh, You'll notice a lot of words and themes this morning in our liturgy around resurrection, around life, around God bringing us from being dead to making us alive. And we see that even in this psalm this morning, Psalm 16, which is a psalm of David. Where he talks about God saving, not only making his heart glad, but his, even his own flesh being secure. And we know in Acts 13, this is later quoted by the apostles, saying that it's a fulfillment of what Christ would do. That he was the one who would go to the place of the dead, to Sheol, and his body would not see corruption. That it would ultimately be raised, resurrected. And that even though our bodies see corruption, whether it's through sickness or sin, that one day we will be raised. So if you want to follow along with me, I'll read the bold section if you'll read the non-bold after me. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for
1: the saints in the land, they are the excellent is all my
0: I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I
1: have set the
0: Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known
1: to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures
0: forevermore. Amen. Let's lift up our voices this morning and sing praise to God in, as we sing in 2:16 16 on Christ the Solid Rock.
1: Morning again, guys. It's nice to have this, like, family, isn't it? It is like family. I was afraid of that. Okay. Anytime I get to Ephesians two. I'm reminded of the analogy that R. C. Sproul used, and it just, I don't know why it was such a profound thing for me, but it, it was. When I first time I heard it, when one of his teachings, it was probably expounding on Ephesians, that he talked about how we're not floundering in our sin. We're not we're not Drowning in our sin. And he uses the ocean. Like if you're out in the ocean. And the ocean is a symbol of sin. We're not floundering in that stuff. We're dead in sin. We're at the bottom of the ocean. There's no effort on ourselves and our part. That can do anything for our salvation. That can save us from this sin that we're a part of. Paul says to the Ephesians. And there's two things that that really jump out at me, and they're they're both real obvious. But he's talking to the, the church in Ephesus, and he says in the beginning, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. You are no more. So it's a past tense. He's talking about how you used to be. You're not like that anymore. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The second thing that jumped out at me was he includes himself in that. We. Us. He's a part of that. This is the apostle. This is the Paul who had who's been to the third heaven. This is the Paul that was knocked down at the, on the road of Damascus where he met Christ. This is the Paul that is just, the depth that he has is just beyond. He includes himself. He, wants, he says, I call myself the cheapest of sinners. He includes himself in this whole thing. So it's not, he's looking down his nose at him and pointing fingers at him. He's a part of that. I just really like that. So today's uh, prayer of confession, if you would pray it along with me, please. Almighty God, you are the one true and living God. You have life in and of yourself. You are dependent on no one and no thing, all sufficient in your wisdom, power, Holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. You have not only given us life, but by the grace of the gospel, you have given us resurrection life through your Son, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Forgive us, Lord, for the sake of Christ, when we sin and succumb to temptation. By the power of your Holy Spirit, revive us again. And help us to be conformed to the image of the Son. Amen.
2: Would you please turn with me to hymn number 209? We will sing There Is a Fountain.
1: There's nothing better than to have the assurance that we have in Christ. In Daniel 7, 13, 14, the classic, I mean, if you've done any studies on the authority, the sovereignty of Christ, you've, you've gone to 7, 13, and 14. He says, I saw in the night visions. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We we relish being under Your sovereignty, Lord. Knowing that You are the Creator, You are the Author of life itself. Knowing that You are over us, that You go before us, Father, I pray that You would tweak our hearts, that You would tweak our minds that you would fill us with even more desire to know you better. Put within us a new hunger for your word, Lord, as you reveal yourself in your word. Lord, today, we talk about resurrection. We talk about uh, the life that you've given us. We talk about... How things are in the now and yet there is still the not yet. There's still hope that we have, Lord. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. So in our uh, Orthodox catechism this morning, question 45. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? You know that it does benefit us. How is that? So the answer, if you would read along with me, says that first, by his, by his resurrection, resurrection he, he has overcome, overcome death, so, so that, that he, he might make us share, us share in the righteousness he won for us by, us by his death. Second, by his, by his power, Second, Second, by his power we, we too are already now resurrected, resurrected to, to a new life. life. Third, Christ's resurrection is Is a guarantee of our glorious resurrection.
0: Amen. You guys can be seated this morning. Good morning again. It's good to be with you all. If you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5, we'll be continuing our study through the Gospel of John. And... um, We've been in John 5 for a couple weeks now, and we'll see this pattern continue in the Gospel of John, where at the beginning of a chapter, there's a sign, there's a miracle, there's an event that happens, a healing, a feeding, a miraculous event, and for the rest of the chapter, chapter, it won't necessarily be a discussion about that event or even what happened there. But it will be a discussion about who Christ is and what he came to do. And it's no different in John chapter five, we talked two weeks ago about the healing of the lame man on the Sabbath day. That there was a man that was born blind, not born blind, that is in John chapter eight. (laughs) He was born lame and lame for 38 years and Jesus heals him instantly. And the real controversy comes in Because Jesus did this on the Sabbath day. And so we spent some time talking about what does it mean that Jesus did this on the Sabbath? Was he breaking the Sabbath? And we talked about that, that Jesus was not breaking the Sabbath. This was a work of mercy or necessity. That Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that it's really not about that for the people and why they are seeking to persecute and kill Jesus. It's not because, only because what he did was on the Sabbath... But it's ultimately because in his words that he says, he makes himself equal with God. That it brings them to want to kill him because he said, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. He puts his working on the same level as the father's, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus begins explaining what it means, he begins revealing his divinity, who he came, who he is, what he came to do, the authority that he has is not only the Son of God, but as the Son of Man, and we talked about that last week in these verses in chap- in verses nineteen through twenty-four, how people try to twist those to make it seem as if the Son is eternally subordinate to the Father, but we saw that ultimately. The Son is equal with the Father, co-equal, co-eternal, that there is a unity in the persons of the Trinity in will and purpose. That the Son does not act independent of the Father, but acts with him in everything that he does. And that to not honor the Son is to not honor the Father. That there's no one that can say, Well, I, I honor God the Father, but I don't accept Jesus, his son. No. To honor. The Son is to honor, honor the Father. And for those that don't do that, there is judgment, there is death. But as we saw at the end last week, for those that honor the Son, that worship Him, there is eternal life. And so this morning, Jesus will continue His discourse. He'll continue talking about who He is. I called it last week, almost a transfiguration with words. That on the Mount of Transfiguration... Christ reveals his glory physically in light. His, his clothes literally glow. But in John chapter 5, we have Christ almost revealing his divinity with words. He is describing that he is equal with God because he is God. This glory of his divine nature. But ultimately, we'll see here that he came to bring life to his people. That he didn't just come to walk the earth, to perform signs or miracles, but he came to bring life, resurrection to his people. And this is not only spiritually, not only in their souls, as we've already talked about this morning, but physical resurrection to their bodies. And we'll see this is by nature of the authority that he has as the Son of Man. So I'll read the passage this morning, I'll pray for us, and then we'll look at These verses, this is the word of the Lord. Verse 25, Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. To the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we come before you in awe and wonder that you would not only give us life this morning, breath in our lungs, but that you would give us supernatural life, new creation life that we have through the person and work of Christ. And we are so blessed in many ways to be able to worship you freely this morning, to come before you as a body of Christ, a local expression of Christ church on the earth. We get to come and sing praises to your name, to confess our sins, to be assured of our pardon for those that have faith in you. And we come this morning, Lord, thankful for all these things. We pray that as we... Look to your word for truth that we would hear the voice of the Son of God and that we would live this morning. That you would bring life where there's death, where, where we need revival. Would you revive us, Lord, and would you bring life to your people this morning by your Spirit, through your word. We need your help this morning. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. So as we're going through John's gospel, it's important that every couple weeks we, we remember John's purpose statement or his thesis statement that he says in John chapter 20. He says, I wrote a lot of things. More things could be written. You could fill the earth with the books of what Jesus did on the earth. But he said, I wrote these things, these specific things down. Why? So that you may have life. In his name, that you may believe he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So John is putting two things forward. He's saying, I've written these things down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, that he's the Christ, that he's the promised Messiah, that he is truly man, the Son of Man, the special anointed servant of the Lord that came in human nature to save sinners, that he's the Christ, but also... That he's the Son of God. That he's not just human. He's not just a good man that had a right relationship with God. But that he is the Son of God. The second person of the triune God. Sent by the Father. Eternally begotten Son. He's our two-natured Redeemer. That he came fully God and fully man. But he came also to bring life to his people. And you'll notice in our verses this morning. In these eight couple verses, the, the, the ones um, right before this included, in eight verses, John, recording the words of Jesus, uses the word life or live eight times. So in eight verses, the theme of life and to live is coming out in almost every verse multiple times. And so the question we have to ask ourselves as we come to the scriptures is, What kind of life is Jesus referring to here? What kind of life did Jesus come to bring? When John in chapter 20 says, I wrote these things down so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life, what kind of life is he talking about? Is he just talking about human, creaturely life, right? We're all in this room. If you're hearing me, you can—you're alive. Congrats. (laughs) You're alive this morning. Is that the life that Jesus is talking about? Did he come to bring just natural, creaturely life to his people? And if that's not what Jesus is talking about, what is he talking about? What kind or quality of life is Jesus referring to? And why is Jesus, as the Son of God, able to give life? If he can give life, that's supernatural that's new creation life in the souls of his people why is he able to give life and then ultimately what's the purpose what's the end goal the fancy word is telos what's the end goal of this life that he brings to his people so we'll try to answer those questions today as we look at these verses so if you want to look with me at verse 25 we'll begin there Jesus says these famous words truly truly I say to you Truly, truly. Some translations say verily, verily. Truly, truly. I say to you, he's trying to get their attention. <laughs> and he's already done that twice in this short passage. In verse 19 and at verse 24. He's already said it three times. He's saying, listen. <laughs> listen to the words I'm about to say. This is important. What I'm about to say is essential. Not that, not that everything Jesus says is essential, but he's emphasizing even more here. This is important. Truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus says, an hour is coming and is now here. Now we know through context that this is not a literal hour. This is referring to, you could say, a time is coming, a time is coming. And is now here. This is kind of confusing language if you just read it. Jesus is saying, something is coming, it's future, it's not yet, but it's here. <laughs> it's present, it's already, it's now. So it's future and it's present. It's coming and it has come. <laughs> what, is it? what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, if you look with me at our um, at the bulletin this morning, we read from Ephesians chapter 2. This language of already, not yet, present realities pointing to future realities is throughout the scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's saying that we have been made alive with Christ. We have been raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places. This is a current reality. For the believer, you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. That's... Pretty amazing to think about. We don't think about that a lot. He says, he has raised us up. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places. But we also know that there is a coming resurrection. There is a future reality to this as well. A more literal reality, if you will. So this idea of already and not yet, future, present, Jesus is using this language. And some here look at these words, this idea of the dead hearing the voice of the Son of God And they take it to mean physical dead, physical death. That people who are physically dead will hear the voice of the Son and they will come to physical life or resurrection. And they would point to places like verse 29, where we see this idea of coming out of the tombs and resurrection um, present in verse 29. And they would go to places like Revelation 20, and they would point to this idea of a first resurrection that Jesus First coming, if you're premillennial, there's a thousand-year break, and then a second resurrection. And so this is not the, the view that we believe, uh, not, not necessarily heretical, many Christians have believe this, but I believe this sort of misses the already aspect of what Jesus is saying here. He says, it is coming, but it is now here. That this resurrection of life... Is coming. It's a future reality, but it's, it is now. And so, this is not, I believe, not talking about those that are physically dead, but spiritually dead. Those that are spiritually dead, that this is referring to, in verse 25 anyway, referring to a spiritual resurrection, from spiritual death to spiritual life. And Instead of looking forward, I think it's helpful to look back at verse 24, what we talked about at the end of last week. What does Jesus say? He has not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is referring to the eternal life that the believer has currently. And so I think it makes more sense to understand it this way. That for the believer, he has passed from death to life. That this is the reality of those that are in Christ. That we know From Ephesians 2 that because of Adam's sin that he broke the covenant of works and because of our sin that we're dead in our trespasses and sin we're spiritually dead we are messed up and it's not just that we need a little bit of moral reform or we need to sort of clean up certain areas of our lives or just cut out the big sins we are spiritually dead spiritually dead That if we go back to John chapter 3, we read these words. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That it's the wickedness and evil of men that causes them to reject the light, to love their sin instead of to run to the light and love the light. And so this is talking about spiritual death. We've talked about it this morning already. And so the question that should kind of pop up in our minds is how does someone go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive? How do they go from being spiritually dead, cold, and dry to God and alive and awakened and sensitive to God and the things of God? And Jesus here gives us the answer on how this happens. How does someone go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive? Verse 25, they hear the voice of the Son of God. (laughs) They hear the voice of the Son of God. That's amazing. They hear the voice of the Son of God. That the Son speaks, and where there was only death, now there's life. The sun speaks, and where there was only death, now there is life. If we go further in John's Gospel, we see a physical, almost parable of this in the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus is in the dead. He's been there for four days. He's starting to stink and rot. He's dead. (laughs) He's not just asleep. He's not just choosing to stay in there. He's dead. And Jesus says, Lazarus... Come out. The Son speaks, and where there was death, now there's life. Lazarus was dead, but now he hears the voice of the Son. That this is, in Lazarus' case, physical resurrection, but it's really a picture of how we are saved. That the voice of the Son breathes life out, and the dry bones and the dry souls of his people... Are raised to life. And I like how one commentator pointed out that this isn't an an audible voice, right? When we were saved, we didn't hear an audible voice from heaven say, Repent, (laughs) believe, you know, come out, come to life. No, this is talking about not an audible voice, but the voice of God in the proclamation of the gospel, right? That this is how. Sinners are saved. This is how sinners come from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's by the power of the gospel, as Romans 1 says, and as Romans 10 says, God uses means. How will they know if they have not heard? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we can say it like this. The Son of God uses the proclamation of the gospel to effectually call sinners to himself by his word and spirit. Believers hear the voice of the Son And through the word of Christ The gospel They have the gift of eternal life That the Son speaks Life And there's life That the Son Calls by his word And spirit And believers Are saved They're given this gift of eternal life That we saw in verse 24 And so the next question that we have to answer is Why is Jesus, as the Son of God, able to give life? Why is he able to give life to his people? Is it sort of arbitrary? No. Jesus grounds this and states why in verse 26. He says this, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. That why is God able to give life to his people? Because he himself is the fountain of life, the life giver. This is what we call, the fancy term is divine aseity, right? The Latin is osse, that God is in and of himself, the self-existence of God, that God does not derive his life or get life from something other than himself. He's not dependent on another higher being for life. He doesn't depend on anyone or anything that God is in and of himself. This is, you could also say, the self-sufficiency of God. An English Puritan, Stephen Charnock, puts it like this. God is of himself, from no other. He was before all things, and therefore depends upon no other thing. He is before all things, therefore depends upon no other thing. John Owen says it like this. God alone has all being in himself. Hence, he gives himself the name I am. I am. That God is in and of himself. That he is self-sufficient. He, this is what we call the auseity of God, or as our confession says it, God is. The subsistence of him is in and of himself, is the more technical way of saying that. And humans, we're not like that. We are not independent. <laughs> we like to think that we are in America, right? That we're independent, but we are not. We are very much dependent. And not only at a human level, right, we're dependent on when we're When we're kids, when we're children, we're dependent on our parents. We're dependent on other people to take care of us. Even when we get older, many of us have grandparents or elderly people we know that depend on people to provide for their food and care for them. So we need other people at a human level. But in terms of God, we are dependent on God at a creaturely level. Paul says it like this in Acts 17. He says, In him that is God... We live and move and have our being. It's a very existential statement. He's saying we need God for our life. That it's not just that God created us and then he sort of walks away. Every moment we need God. We depend on him. That in him we live and move and have our being. That we need God for life itself. That he's not only the creator of us, but He is our sustainer. Through his providence, he provides and sustains us and governs us. And so this is where we get the creator-creature distinction, that when John here in verse 26 says, the Father has life in himself, that's not us. We don't have life in and of ourselves. God gives us life. He is the creator, we are the creature. He created us, not the other way around. So that is one sense in which God gives us life. But we see that the way Jesus is using these words in verse 26, he's not just referring to creaturely life, but to our spiritual life. That God not only gives us life in a spirit in a creation sense, but in a spiritual sense. Because John uses these words for Meaning, because in verse 26. So, not only do we need God for human creaturely life, but we need God for our spiritual new creation life. For our new creation life. Or we can say it like this the way Jesus is using these words in verse 26, we could say it like this that the Son of God is able to give spiritual life to his people. Because he is God. Verse 26 is nothing other than Jesus claiming divinity. He's saying, just as the Father has life in himself, in the same way, so do I. I am the Son of God. I am God. Co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. So, just to review, God gives... Not only creaturely life to his people, but supernatural new creation life to dead sinners through the work of the Son of God. But then we see this sort of, it almost feels like a shift in, in verse 27. It almost seems like a total change of topic. In verse 27, he says, "...and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man." So in verse 25, it says they hear the voice of the Son of God. In verse 27, he says that the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So not only is Jesus claiming to be the Son of God, he's claiming to be the Son of Man. This was Jesus' title to refer to him as the sort of second Adam, the Son of Man. That he's given authority to execute judgment. Not interesting. Look at verse 27. Not because he's the son of God. That's almost what you would expect there. For it to say he's given authority to execute judgment because he's the son of God. God has authority to execute judgment. He's the judge of all the earth. Why does it say son of man? That's sort of interesting. Some believe. Some theologians would actually point back to the garden and the role of Adam. What was Adam's role in the garden? He was to guard and keep the garden. He was to protect the garden of Eden. He was like a priest king that was set up in this sort of garden temple. He was supposed to discern good from evil. He was supposed to cleanse God's temple as this priest king and ultimately... If the serpent was to come in, Adam was supposed to crush the head of the serpent. He was supposed to say, get out of here. This is the Lord's temple. Don't deceive me. Don't try to deceive Eve. Get out. He was supposed to execute judgment in a way. He was the king and the priest. The priest was supposed to keep the temple clean. The king is supposed to execute judgment. And we know in Genesis 3 that Adam failed to do this. He let the serpent in. He let the serpent deceive. He did not discern good from evil. Him and Eve broke the covenant of works. They tried to make themselves equal with God. They thought they could have divinity just like God. They thought that they were smarter and wiser than God. And they sinned and broke this covenant. So Adam, as the first son of man, failed. He failed to execute Judgment, he failed to discern good from evil. But Jesus here is saying that he is the better Son of Man, the second Adam who will execute judgment rightly. We see this in the other gospel accounts that Jesus always discerned good from evil. In Matthew 4, when he goes into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil, he passes the temptation. He, at every point, the devil tries to get him to sin against his flesh, to sin against the lust of the eyes, the lust of the heart, the pride of life. all of these ways, Satan tries to tempt Christ, and he passes. He resists the temptation of the devil in the wilderness, where we fail to do that. And Christ comes as the greater prophet, priest and king to crush the head of the serpent, to crush the head of Satan. And as we read in Daniel chapter 7, that upon his resurrection, his ascension, and his current session at the right hand of God the Father, Daniel 7 says that he's given all authority on heaven and on earth, all dominion, all peoples, that he is given all authority because he is the Son of Man, the better second Adam. And that we see in verse 29 that on the last day, all will be raised. All will be raised. We call this the general resurrection. That for a long time, you know, I thought, well, maybe, or some people even think, when they think of heaven, if you ask a random Christian on the street, what's heaven going to be like? They picture this kind of people floating around, no bodies, just sort of an immaterial world. But we know from scriptures that there is a coming resurrection. But it's not only for the believer, but also for the unbeliever, that all those who are in the tombs will come out, not only the righteous, but the wicked, not only believers, but also unbelievers. And the end of verse 29, I think, can be troubling for us in a lot of ways. It says, and they will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That there is a coming judgment day coming. And I think when unbelievers read verse 29, they can think, Well, I've done some good in my life. I helped the old lady across the street. Or I I helped out at the soup kitchen. Or I did this thing or that thing. And I did something that I would call good. Therefore, I have this resurrection of life. And we know from the rest of the scriptures that... Only believers are capable of doing that which is good or glorifying to God. Because for something to be a good work, it must be according to the law of God, done to the glory of God, and done in faith in God. And only believers can do that. Unbelievers, they might be able to do something externally that is good, like help someone, but it is not to the end of the glory of God. It's their own selfish purposes or to puff up pride in them. But I think for believers, when we read these verses, if we're honest with ourselves, it can be sort of troubling almost. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, that if we've done any evil in our lives, then there's judgment coming for us and we won't be saved. And maybe some of us have a weaker conscience and we hear these words and we think back to an evil we did, an unspeakable sin that we committed that there's no way God could forgive me. There's no way that I could be saved because of this evil that I've done. I must be one of those people that's going to the resurrection of judgment. But we know that we serve a gracious God and as we look throughout the scriptures, this is referring to Christians, right? Christians have been saved from their sins. If we go on in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, You've been saved by grace, not because of your works, but Christ has prepared good works for you to walk in them. So for the believer, the believer's not just called to this believing and then sitting around on our hands all day, but we're called to good works, to do good, And that will distinguish the true believers from those that are only false professors or false believers. And ultimately we see here that there is judgment coming. That judgment is going to happen. Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man. I have been given all authority to execute judgment. I am not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man. And judgment is coming. And that should make us fear, as we read in Matthew... On the last day, every careless word, every careless deed will be revealed. And this should be sobering for us as Christians and as unbelievers. It should frighten um, the unbeliever. So as we walk away from these scriptures today, I really only have one point of application, one thing to contemplate, to think about, and that is we need resurrection. (laughs) We need resurrection. I don't know about you guys, but I need resurrection. Not only in our earthly bodily lives, right? Many of us are struggling with sin or sickness. Maybe our family members are sick. Maybe we're sick with cancer. The natural disasters in the world, the the turmoil that's in our country. We can look on the news for five minutes and see how sin has affected our world. Has brought death and destruction But sin doesn't only affect our bodies, it affects our souls. It affects our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, our homes. And we need Christ. We need him to bring life and resurrection to us. Starting with our souls and one day our bodies as well. And what does Jesus tell Mary in John chapter 11 even before the resurrection of Lazarus, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. (laughs) Shall never die. That for the believer... There is an already present reality. Ephesians 1 says we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, that the believer has new creation life, eternal life, as John would say it, right now. It's a present reality. It's not future. It is future, but it is also present. The believer has eternal life because of the work of Christ. And even though we die, yet shall we live. If we believe and trust in Christ. And so as we walk away today, we see that we need this resurrection. We need this life that Christ brings. And he's able to bring it because he is not only the son of man, but the son of God. He is the son of man. He is the one that assumes human nature. He took on flesh. The second person of the triune God... Took on flesh to save sinners. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He was crucified. Had a horrible, terrible death on the cross. Yet was resurrected. Overcame death for us. And for our salvation. But he's not only the son of man. He is the son of God. That by virtue of his divine nature. He is able to. To effectually bring life to dead sinners. No human, no mere human could do that. It takes the divine Son of God to effectually bring life and resurrection to his people. And we know that one day he will resurrect us. That even though our bodies waste away, sin plagues us, one day. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth, where even though we were absent from the body and present with the Lord, one day our soul will be united with our body, and we will dwell with Christ and all believers in eternity. This is good news for us, and let's look to Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for John chapter 5. We thank you that you are God. That you have life in and of yourself. That you don't depend on us for anything. That you are the all-sufficient one. That I am that I am. Yahweh. And in your grace and mercy, you've called Us to be born again. Those that have trusted in Christ. To be born again. To a new life. By your spirit. By your word. You've called us. That the voice of the son has spoken. And brought life and light. To us who are in darkness. That you've made a heart of flesh. Where there was only a heart of stone. That you've enabled us. To believe. To come most Freely and most willingly, not dragging us, but because you've renewed our wills. You've given us new life, Lord. This morning, as we go throughout our weeks, as we contemplate and think about these things, may we look to Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, our hope, our only hope. He's passed through death, overcame death for us as a foretaste, as the firstfruits of Of our coming resurrection. May we look to that this morning. And may we trust in Christ alone today. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. We come now to. Time of our service where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Where as we've talked about already this morning. The Christian life is one of looking ahead. It's looking forward right. It's not just a present tense looking at our world and the things of this world, but it's a looking forward to heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. And just like every Sunday we come on the Lord's day to look forward to the eternal Sabbath rest that God has purchased for his people, in the same way, in a similar way, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we look forward. It's not only looking back at what Jesus did in the past. It's not just a memorial. It's also a looking forward to the great last supper of the Lamb where all will be welcomed, who have put their faith in Christ, where we will eat and drink with him in eternity. And so this meal is a foretaste of that. It's a foretaste of that. It's a means of grace. It's a visible word of God's covenant promise promises. And we're reminded that this is for God's covenant people. This is for the people of the covenant, that God promises are made visible to his people that when they see the bread and the wine, they're meant to be reminded of the promises of the covenant for those that have put their faith in Christ, the perfect lamb who was slain, body broken, bloodshed, they might have life. That as they eat and drink, we're reminded that We eat and drink on Christ by faith. That this is nourishing to our souls. And that if you're not a believer, that this is not for you. This is, um, as Paul would say, to eat and drink judgment on yourself. To eat and drink judgment on yourself. That for those that do not believe or are living in unrepentant sin or haven't been baptized, or not professed their faith, or not members of a church, it's not for them, because it's something that is for believers who have put their faith in Christ. And so, as we come to the table this morning, let's examine ourselves. Let's think about the ways that we have done evil, that we have sinned against God. Let's confess those sins. Let's bring them to the Lord, knowing that He is able to pardon, because He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. But we also come not just soberly, not just somberly, but rejoicing, knowing that Christ has done it, he's finished the work, he was raised for our life, seated at the right hand of the Father, and ever lives to make intercession for his people. He's not going to stop. So even if you sinned yesterday or today or tomorrow, God is a forgiving and merciful God and for those who put their faith in Christ. They have assurance this morning and hope so we're reminded of the words of institution where the lord says this on the night he was betrayed he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup saying this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for this supper, this meal, where we get to feed on Christ and all his benefits by faith this morning. Help us to see our sin clearly this morning, to repent of it, but to ultimately turn to Christ for hope, for life, and may we see the covenant promises that you have given us in Christ, purchased for us by him, and we look forward to the supper of the Lamb where we will eat and drink with you in eternity. Would you bless these elements, Lord, and would you bless this meal. In your name we pray. Amen. Form a line. Um, we'll take the elements back to your seat and come as your table. Each week we take the bread, we remember that Christ's body was broken, that his body was crucified on the cross. And so we take, we eat, we remember, and we believe that Christ's body was broken for the forgiveness of all of our sins. cup of wine, this cup of the new covenant in his blood. We take it, we drink, we remember and we believe that Christ's blood was spilled for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Amen. What good news. If you want to stand with us. And turn to him, or not him, sorry, turn to the handout in your bulletin. We'll respond out of worship, out of gratitude, out of thankfulness for what God has done in the gospel. And we'll sing, In Christ Alone. work of his gospel throughout the earth, not to earn anything from him, not begrudgingly, but with joy, and sometimes hard to give with joy, but we do it not to earn anything, not to earn his favor or anything like that, but out of worship, out of gratitude for what he has done for us and to see his gospel supported. Let's pray for our offerings this morning. Lord, we thank you for all that you've provided for us, all that your hand has given us. We ask that you would bless these offerings, that you would use them for the work of your kingdom, for the gospel proclamation, so that sinners might be saved, so that people might hear the voice of the Son of God and be saved. We pray that you would... Use them for your purposes, and we pray that you would bless them. In your name we pray. Amen.
2: 13. And sing with me the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
0: All things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. May we drink from that spring today. Grace and peace as you go.